0: The Jones Report is coming up here in just a few minutes, but first I want to take some time to talk about our new sponsor, New Coast Lids, a hat brand based out of Lawrence, a company that embraces Midwestern values. They work hard, have fun, and treat people the right way. Find us on Facebook at No NoCoastLids. Website NoCoastLids.com is coming soon. They have signature hats including the Kansas Sunrise, the Kansas Thunderstorm, Freedom, and many others. The four colors found in all designs represent the four seasons we have Green for spring, blue for summer, red for fall, and white for winter. Kansas Sunrise hoodies are coming soon. All products can be found with pictures and pricing at the Facebook Shop section of the No Coast Lids Facebook page. Hat styles available include truckers, fitted beanies, and visors. Check out No Coast Lids on Facebook. Tell them Tyler Jones sent you, and you'll be glad you did. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Ben Heisler of Sports Illustrated. He covers fantasy football and fantasy sports. We'll get a complete fantasy preview of the NFL season, tell you who you need to draft and who you need to pick up in free agency when Ben joins us coming up later on in the program, making his Jones Report Debut joining us as always is Thomas Bridges and uh, Tom long time coming glad to uh, have a sponsor on board glad to welcome in no coast lids to the program and uh, they got some pretty cool hats glad to be uh, wearing one right now
1: yeah I'm gonna have to give me some no coast gear Um, like you said yeah long time
0: coming how long we've been doing this it's been a minute and uh, we have a better part of nine right Uh, We have a new partner also joining us next week, too, when uh, we bring back our weekly pick segment. Uh, It will be the O'Connor Advisory Group, Pigskin Pick'em. So, welcome aboard. Uh, Glad to have some partners working with the Jones Report now and uh, with uh, the stuff we got going on. So, uh, great to kick off football season with uh, some good friends here on the uh, program. And uh, we're going to be talking some fantasy football later on the show, as I mentioned, with uh, Ben. Tom, it's been a while since you played fantasy, right? Uh,
1: yeah, it has been. You know, I used to play with old Aunt B, and we used to do that quite a bit. I mean, every season we had it down. and uh, But, you know, haven't played fantasy in a while. I, You know, I like it better not playing fantasy. Because then it gives it puts gives me a stake in in each game if I do it, and it just makes me a nervous wreck to be honest. Uh, so I choose not to play. Um, some people are like, "Ah, oh, Tom, go ahead and play. Why don't you play?" And I'm just, uh, I don't enjoy playing the way I used to, and it's not the same without Ant
0: I feel you. Um, I'll I'll say this: I enjoy sports betting more. Um, I've had some good luck this week by the way. Had a really nice parlay the other night that I hit. Um, I pulled off the uh Nuggets on the money line, Celtics on the money line and the over on the Nuggets Jazz game and uh took home a nice payday. Um, that's been more my vibe. The other thing that I find when comparing fantasy football to sports betting, not only in sports betting Tom are we talking about that, hey, I could actually win money and get rich off of it, but the fantasy sports side of things, I'm cheering for a certain player's performance as opposed to if I'm betting on a game, most of the time I'm betting on a team to win. Uh, you know, So there is still a rooting interest of some sorts. there. It doesn't feel the same of the rooting interest of a player as opposed to a team.
1: Right. I mean, because then you're, you know, fantasy, you're like, oh, well, pass it to Julio Jones, pass it to Julio Jones, uh, instead of just betting on the Falcons to win where it doesn't matter who gets the touchdown as long as they get one.
0: Right. Um, last year I did one fantasy league. It was the church league, Tom. And I know you're not supposed to talk about your fantasy team, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. It was in my church. And I actually forgot about the draft altogether, and I auto-drafted. And I ended up with Marcus Mariota as my quarterback, but I was stacked everywhere else. My fantasy team, Tom, I, I ended up uh, with uh, you know, Michael Thomas and Aaron Jones and I think I had DeAndre Hopkins and a few other guys. And, uh, you know of course, Mariota gets benched like week three, week four. I go sign Derek Carr, and I ended up winning my league. Even though I was so average at quarterback, I was great at everything else. And so even with that, with having average quarterback play, I still rallied and was able to win. It it taught me the lesson. I've always liked quarterbacks. I'm a quarterback guy, Tom, and that's one of the things that frustrates me about fantasy is how much value the running back position has. The quarterback is the most important position on the field. That should be the most points on the line here. But based on the way things worked out last year, um, unless it's Patrick Mahomes, if I have the number one pick, uh, I will be taking a skill position player, more than likely a running back. Uh, I've seen the need that I do not need to draft a a quarterback based on how last year's results worked out in my favor.
1: Right. You know, I've seen that, um, you know, some teams uh, or, you know, some players that play fantasy, I have heard that they are taking – um taking like kittle or kelsey in one of the first rounds um really? i thought that was pretty interesting uh you know they're big point getters as well but to take a tied in i mean usually you would take a you know a uh you you would you would take a quarterback but uh you know at least that was always my strategy uh you know a point getter if you know if you can take Patrick Mahomes. If you end up getting the first pick, you got to take Mahomes. But now it seems that, you know, you might want to go with the receiver route and take the best two receivers off the board first. Uh, if you can do that right. um, and then, you know, get an average quarterback and, and go that route. But, uh, like I said, I've been out of the fantasy realm for some time. So I'm behind on the strategies now.
0: Yeah. Uh, we, we've had a uh, fantasy game here on the uh, Jones report before we've done it uh and I think there was you you were in a championship with Nolan and he ended up what beating you by like half a point or something one year um in the final game I mean it I was think nuts. So. so that's been a while yeah it has uh, but we do the Pick'Em, and we're glad to do the Pick'Em segment we'll uh, bring that to you each and every week starting next week the college football slate is too light to uh, start out the pick We want to start out with the formal week of when the Big 12 gets going next week. Uh, and then uh, we'll have that. What we'll do is with the pick-em segment, we'll pick segment we will pick 5 NFL games and five college games each and every week. And I go from there and see how long college football goes and and uh, see where things play out. The other thing, too, uh, on the, the fantasy stuff, Tom, is that you know Ooh. last year, with me being who I am, winning the church league. I got zero credit for winning the church league. Everybody just like, Oh, well, of course he won the league. Uh, and that was the first time in a while <laughs> in a couple of years, I'd won a fantasy football league. So that didn't really pay out, to, play out to my favor. The other thing too is, um, you know, yes, it's a huge benefit in fantasy this year that you don't have the preseason where you have guys that could get injured in the preseason or Andrew Luck retires uh, right after you drafted him, like what happened to O.J. Simpson last year. Uh, <laughs> uh, but COVID nineteen, it what what happens? You you want to talk about worst case scenario, Tom? You, let's say that you stay healthy with your lineup or most of your guys all season long, and all of a sudden one of your best players gets COVID and he's out two weeks. Uh, Man, wouldn't that be a terrible way to lose a fantasy championship if uh, somebody goes down with COVID?
1: Right, instead of an injury or they typical, just not playing uh due to, you know, potentially, you know, already having the the playoff set. Uh yeah, you get that happening and then get COVID and they can't play, that would adds a whole new thing. <laughs> Who's, you know, maybe that adds in a little bit of, okay, you know, don't take someone who's, uh, who, who's a big personality that would go out and have the potential to get it. Maybe you just try and go for a homebody that scores a bunch of points.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I know that, uh, Lisa Ann, uh, who is known for, uh, some other things, um, <laughs> she's a big fantasy football player and, uh. Lisa Ann, in her research, Tom, she, uh, in the research that she does, looks up like where these guys are traveling during the week, their hotel rooms, um, you know, what they're eating, like every detail (laughs) she can find on these guys before before she'll put them in their, (laughs) in her lineup.
1: Trying to see if the hotel room's close to her, huh?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, uh, maybe so. Yeah,
1: that, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that. I knew she was a big sports fan, but we need to find a way into Lisa dad, Ann's uh, fantasy. Seriously.
0: We need to find a way into Lisa Ann's fantasy league.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, she's in one of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, right, uh, that I mean. Oh. What would you, if we had Lisa Ann on the show, what would you classify her as like a fantasy football analyst at this point? Or would you classify her by her old profession?
0: Um, well, you know, the, uh, or both. I think that we would keep things professional and, and we could say something to the effect of like, hey, fantasy football analyst and also known for other things. <laughs> I mean,
1: um, and, and I mean, at this point, I feel like most people know who she is,
0: right? If we had, I mean, you Lisa, can't
1: not know who she is.
0: If we had Lisa Ann on the show, we wouldn't really have to say people that know would know right away.
1: If you know, you know, type of deal. right?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's one way to, uh, start the show. Shout out Lisa Ann. sup, uh, <laughs> with that being said, we'll, uh, we'll stay in the national football league. Tom, uh, the chiefs got their Super Bowl rings. Did you see them?
1: I did. They look pretty legit. Uh, like you, we talked about it earlier. The, uh, gold on those is pretty legit. Uh, it's a pretty fancy one.
0: Oh yeah. Those, uh, those were spectacular. I thought they did a great job putting the. Chiefs uh Super Bowl rings together that's the best Super Bowl ring I've ever seen uh all that gold on there the Chiefs logo and on the inside of it it's so savage it's got the scores of the playoff games and if you recall the Chiefs trailed by double digits in each and every one of those playoff games uh so a little salt in the wound for their opponents uh when they see those rings of sorts uh In very Andy Reid fashion, he was asked about, what are you going to use the ring for? Where are you going to wear it? And uh, he said, well, if I want a free cheeseburger somewhere, I'll uh, go put on my ring and I'll just point at it. Right,
1: yeah. He's always looking for the next cheeseburger, I feel like. (laughs) Uh, What I mean, where's the best cheeseburger in Kansas City?
0: You know, that's a great question. Yeah. I'm still trying to discover what is the best cheeseburger in Kansas City. Um, There's plenty of good options, but I haven't narrowed it down to one.
1: That is true. Uh, I'm not like a huge – I like a good cheeseburger, but I I don't search for them like I do pizza. But I bet you Andy Reid knows the best burger in Kansas City just because he's like a a pretty much part-time food connoisseur. I might have to pull out Andy Reid back and cheese again this year.
0: So he just got a new contract extension that's going to keep him and GM Brett Feech in Kansas City till 2025. I don't think Andy Reid needs to be asking for free cheeseburgers. Uh, the man is going to be very well paid. He was already making about 7.5 dollars or $8 million, and we're still waiting on what the final numbers are in Andy Reid's extension, but it, it looks like that he's going to be around for a while. And there's already discussion about within the Chiefs organization, as you guys know, throughout the last couple of months about a, a dynasty if that were going to happen. Uh, Dan Orlovsky was on uh, ES- ESPN uh, today, and he called them a dynasty. And I'm like, eh, let's not call them a dynasty just yet. There's only one Super Bowl that they've won here. But What is fascinating... Yeah, you got to get
1: another ring.
0: Right. I think you have to have at least three out of four to be a dynasty of some sorts. Like, even two is a bit of a stretch. But even with that being said, um, what was a good point that was brought up in Andy Reid's press conference this week, as far as this team goes down the road for its future of sorts, is that not only do you have all the guys that they locked in this past offseason with... Patrick and Travis and, uh, you know, Chris Jones, and you already had long-term contract extensions for Tyree Kill and Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew and company. I mean, your key parts are all signed for the long term. Um, And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, your rookie running back, you know, of course, first year of a, you know, four- or five-year contract. Um, But the pieces up top are locked in. And that's one thing we don't talk about enough with the Chiefs is, yes, the talent is there and that there is a great core of players for this franchise, but the rest of the way, you look at the the top of the food chain for the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid right now, Tom, I would say is probably the second best coach in the league only behind Bill B. Um And I would rank it, Bill B1, by the way, that Subway commercial he's in that came out this week was just incredible. Um, (laughs) Andy Reid 2, John Harbaugh 3 would probably be my top three coaches in the league right now. But you have Andy Reid locked up. Brett Veach looks like one of, if not the best, GMs in the league, an incredible talent evaluator. Uh, When he was a scout, he was the one that recommended the Chiefs draft, Patrick Mahomes. And unlike his predecessor, John Dorsey, he's done an incredible job of controlling the salary cap and finding ways to keep those players on affordable long-term deals. And Mark Donovan, the team president, has been there a while. He's done a good job. And then there's the Hunt family. And we know about Lamar Hunt and the legacy that he had with the Chiefs organization and finding, you know, he was the founder of the AFL and everything. But once Clark Hunt took over in, uh, you know the late two thousands there there was a there was a bumpy stretch uh where Clark was not doing a great job as owner, but then he reevaluated things. He went out and found Andy Reed. He made a point to be more dedicated to be in Kansas City to be with this franchise um despite living in Dallas, the guys in town uh a lot so with with all that being said. The talent's there, yes, but the stability in the front office, this is a a a front office that is built to be good for a long time. And in this league where everything is evolving and everything's changing, we don't see that type of stability like that very often anymore, Tom.
1: I wish they had that stability in uh, Los Angeles uh, for the Rams. Uh, I mean, as far as tenure goes, Andy Reid's right up there. Uh, you know, obviously Harbaugh and obviously Bill Belichick, but I'd probably have to agree on the coaching stand, from the coaching standpoint, what top three are the best. Uh, and just from a GM standpoint, just from managing the team, I mean, uh, it's hard pressed to say anybody but the Chiefs right now, the way they pulled off those deals that they did.
0: Yeah. Uh, we were talking to Diana Rossini a while back on our radio show, and she said that. Veach is pretty much already locked up executive of the year at this point with what he was able to do, put those uh, pieces together. But uh, you get the rings, you you locked up all these these players for the long term. I know that everybody has had a tough 2020 uh, with the way that COVID-19 has impacted folks. And we've even seen in this last week, Tom, uh, in response to the you know, uh, Jacob Blake shooting, and just the civil unrest that's in this country. You know, for most people, 2020 has been a bad year. But if there is any exception, it's Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, You know, Pat gets engaged this week to his longtime girlfriend since eighth grade, Brittany Matthews, Uh, you know, got the big contract. Uh, you know, he's hanging out the American century championship. This team's bringing in these players. They're locking up, uh, these guys long-term, uh, this year has not gone great for about everybody except those wearing the, uh, the red and yellow there in, uh, in Kansas city Tom.
1: Right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you're a chief fan, at least you can take, uh, one sliver of, of good out of this. If you're any other team fan, you're thinking, oh, God, I wish I was a Kansas City Chief fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly one way to look at it uh, as far as that goes. But, Tom, we're a week away from the NFL season getting started. Uh, I can't believe that it's already here at this point in time. Um, you know, I, I got the report today that, you know, there was a very low number of COVID 19 tests that turned positive. And we have found out the game plan for how this is going to work for teams when enough is enough when they can't play. Basically, how it's going to be for these teams is if you can't fill a roster spot by game time, an active roster spot, then you'll suspend play and you can't play. But other than that... Things appear to be charging ahead going forward with this NFL season, and uh, I like the direction that we're at right now. I mean, this uh, w- where we're going, I know that we've had some teams opt out say they're not going to have fans, and others say they are going to have fans, but so far, everything looks to be pretty good as far as uh, the direction of this season goes, Tom.
1: Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean... Now, if it gets down to where, you know, breaks out and an outbreak of COVID-19 and, you know, we can't, God help help us if we can't, you know, get the teams right or, you know, fill a roster spot, like you said, then it'll be a a challenge that I'm sure some of these, or most of these teams have kind of already pre-planned for this to happen. Uh, Maybe we see Jalen Hurts if Carson Wentz comes down with it. Or, you know, maybe the Super Bowl's pushed back. That I mean, hopefully we can figure out something because I can't imagine a world where there's no fans for the Super Bowl. Uh, I I know that at this point I shouldn't be surprised if there's not, but can you imagine a Super Bowl without any fans?
0: Right. Well, then uh, I was reading a report today that a vaccine could be ready by November 1st to be distributed. Um, You know, when you get the vaccine, are you just going to, you know, get handed a doctor's note that you know says, "Hey, I got the vaccine. I don't need to social distance or mask anymore." Like, how do we know when enough people have gotten the vaccine to go back to normal life to be able to have, you know, fans in stands and just live our lives as normal? I mean, that's a whole other thing in itself uh, that we still have to figure out. But um, you know, the Chiefs are going to play twenty-two percent capacity. The Bucs, who are hosting the Super Bowl, Tom. Uh, no fans. Week one. Now they've said they'll evaluate things week to week, but that's big. If the site that's hosting the Super Bowl says no fans, that can't be a good sign for everybody else in the direction of this season of of where it's going. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, on that front. Also, news out of Tampa today. Uh, Leonard Fournette is heading to the Buccaneers. First off, uh, the Jags just a couple of years ago were very close to going to the Super Bowl, and had all the pieces it seemed. Even Blake Bortles played good enough at quarterback, and they were so good everywhere else. And Leonard Fournette, this was a guy at LSU that people were telling him he didn't even need to play his last year there, that he just needed to sit out and be the number one overall pick and get paid and all that. Now he gets released, and he's headed to Tampa. You got LaShawn McCoy there as well, and then we know how loaded they are at receiver and tight end, and, of course, they got you know their new quarterback in Tom Brady. Tom, uh, the Bucs, they look loaded. I mean, the rich got richer. I, I think Leonard Fournette was great for uh, what they got him and certainly filled a, void, filled a need, and it didn't cost them too much, just $3.5 million.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a good pickup for for the Bucks. I don't know if it swings them to better. I don't. I don't know. In my opinion, you know we talk about this at least every two weeks on how I feel like the Bucks are going to miss the playoffs. I don't think Leonard Fournette gets the Bucks into the playoffs, but it is a good pickup for them. I know you'll say different. I'm going to keep my narrative that the Bucks still miss the playoffs, but uh, it is shaping up. Uh, you know they're they're doing their best to swing change my mind. Uh, because Leonard Fournette, you know, he's not probably what he once was, and it hasn't been that long since he's been in the league, really. Um, but like you said, the Jags, he was great for the Jags, and uh, you know, probably had you know had some down years, not so hot. Like you, you know, started off pretty hot, but uh, now maybe this is the right situation to get him going again. Good, good pick up, probably for both parties.
0: Yeah. Um. The with this uh, Bucks team. Leonard Fournette, I think, immediately becomes your starting running back. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, last year, on that load management thing he was doing, I mean, it was just a disaster for the Chiefs. Um, and now you bring in Fournette. This guy's still really young. He's still got fresh legs. Um, they got a good offensive line there in Tampa Bay. And the, the thing that they'll need to see out of him, though, I think that, you didn't necessarily see out of Jacksonville is that he's got to be more of a receiver. Um, you know, in uh, 2019, he uh, he had 76 – and I say he's got to be more of a receiver. Let, let me rephrase that. In, in 2019, he had actually 76 catches for 522 yards and three total touchdowns. But – there has to be a way to get him even more involved um, to be in a situation where he doesn't necessarily have to have the ball in his hands to be effective, Uh, whether it's the screen game, whatever it may be, you know, he had a thousand yards rushing last year too. I mean, this guy's coming off a good year, um, but he's got to be willing to adapt the way Brady wants to use him here. Here's something to think about. Um, What Tom Brady's so good at, I I look at a couple years ago when the Pats beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game. And Tom Brady, and he still had arm strength and still very accurate playing at a high level that season, still made the choice to realize that the Chiefs' defense was not able to stop the run and made the calls himself to go ahead and run the football with Sonny Michelle and some of the other guys there, and they just ran it down the Chiefs' throats and ended up winning that game and ultimately winning the Super Bowl. Leonard Fournette, this is going to be a whole different situation than what he saw in Jacksonville with the Jags. Um, he is going to be called upon. You know, In Jacksonville, it was such a mess. There was not much structure there. It's going to be, hey, catch the football, run when we ask you to, block when we ask you to. Um, this to me is, is a night and day fit, despite how good his numbers may have been last season. Um, this is, this is still, I think going to be a different role of him. The expectation there in Tampa, as opposed to what it was in Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, it is. It's going to be, you know, anytime any player comes used to come into new England, it was a different. Uh, different style of play or or the level of play or what you were you know accustomed to or your responsibilities were a lot different than maybe on any other team and I don't think it's going to change just because Brady changed teams I think it was you know obviously a product of Belichick but I also think it's a product of Brady uh, because that's just kind of how he was built um, and taught and and pretty much played his whole career that way so I don't think you know it's going to change. Bruce Arians is no pushover coach. Uh, I think you know the leadership Brady brings to that team. Uh, Bruce Arians is going to use that to his advantage. Uh, and it'd be stupid not to.
0: Yeah, and uh, they still have Eric, jo- or still have uh, Ronald Jones uh, for now, who rushed for seven hundred yards last year. But you got to think that Fournette jumps in and is immediately the uh, number one back there in Tampa Bay. Speaking of the Jags, uh, since we mentioned them with moving on from Leonard Fournette, like, what the hell happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tom? I mean, this was a team that was just so loaded, that was so close, and people tried putting the blame on Bortles and saying that, you know, hey, he was the only thing holding them back. They get rid of him. They go with Nick Foles or, you know, uh, Minshew and it didn't elevate them much, if any, at all, with those guys there. Um, you know it, it seems like when we talk about organizations that the organization got in its own way. I mean, the Jalen Ramsey thing was ugly, all this other stuff here. Um, you talk about missed opportunities. this team kind of fell apart by its own doing.
1: Yeah, it did, and, and, you know, I don't know how much blame you put on Khan here, the owner, Shahid Khan, um, but I don't know. You know, obviously, he's I don't think he's a Jerry Jones type, but uh, there's no reason the Jags should have fell apart the way they did. I mean, uh, the Jalen Ramsey thing kind of, you know, fell apart, uh, and they just haven't had a quarterback that they could rely on. They did almost, like you said, almost made the Super Bowl. Had a great couple of seasons, and then just, I, I just fell apart. And just, you know, I'm not not sure how you let something fall apart that quickly.
0: It doesn't make any sense to me how that could happen, other than just poor management. Because all the pieces were there, it seemed for uh, them to be competitive there for uh, a long time. The uh, Patriots, uh, they cut ties with uh, Sanu. Just a year after they traded for him, um, we've already seen what was it seven, eight guys opt out of the season for New England. Uh, you know they they didn't spend a whole lot on bringing in Cam Newton and everything here. Um, what say you, Tom, about New England? Is this team in rebuild mode, or was this an isolated situation with Sanu? This was a guy they were excited about when they traded for him last season.
1: It is kind of an odd odd thing that happened with Sanu, but
0: uh, I mean,
1: the Patriots are hard to uh, hard to read in these situations, obviously, if you're not internal. Um, and, and probably for good reason. I wouldn't call it a full rebuild yet. Uh, I mean, they're kind of in the same situation maybe that the Spurs are in. I'd only do that because they get the comparison a lot, the Spurs and the Patriots, but uh, I wouldn't call it a full rebuild yet. And I mean, Belichick has never had to go through a rebuild either. So uh, could it be time that the Patriots just blow it completely up? Not sure. Bringing in Cam Newton, that's obviously going to be a test run of all right, where are we at with Cam? You know, we brought Cam Newton in. What, what kind of, what is this team going to look like? I mean, they're going to have to play, you know, six, seven games. Before you can really fill out the Patriots on okay, what next? Right. Uh, at least in my opinion, they're going to have to to play to figure out where they're headed to next. And you know, if Cam doesn't work out, uh, then then maybe you blow it up and tank for <laughs> tank for Lawrence, uh, tank for Trevor.
0: Frank for I don't.
1: Him. I don't know. I don't know what the. Uh, I don't know what the tank the tank line is. You know,
0: tank for Brock.
1: Purdy. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, tank for Brock Purdy when hell freezes over, maybe. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, do you tank for Trevor Lawrence starting out, knowing that he's coming into the draft? Uh, I mean, the Patriots don't have anything to prove or to lose, essentially. Um, Maybe they do that. Maybe that's the route. Maybe Cam just to get them by until they can get, you know, a new quarterback in that they like. Or, uh, you know, It'll be interesting to see how Joe Burrow does in Cincinnati and what other teams may follow that route to just go ahead and see if they can pull off and get Trevor Lawrence out of the deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Some other uh, NFL notes, uh, Alvin Kamara, a little holdout situation going on there. Uh, And then I guess he returned to practice. Reports indicate that the Saints are willing to trade him. Kamara was injured for much of last year, and they were fine without him. Um, he's as good as any running back in the league, and I don't like giving running backs a second contract, Tom. I know this sounds crazy, but if the Saints want to move on and get value from him, personally I, I would not blame them uh considering the circumstance of that they were fine without him, that his health wasn't the best last year, that um you know, that he would demand a price tag for a running back that maybe you would not want to want to you know pay considerably. Uh, what say you as far as the Saints with this uh, Alvin Kamara situation?
1: You know, if there is some controversy with him, uh, you're looking at, I mean, the Saints, I wouldn't say are too far off from a rebuild, but you know, with Drew Brees uh, potentially going and going to potentially retire at the end of this year, uh, you wonder where they're headed to next. And, you know, Kamara is not one of those players that is going to transcend your team by himself. i uh, not to say he's not one of the best running backs in the league. Uh, you know, I would, if I was a fan of any team that, you know, ended up trading for him, I can't say I wouldn't be happy about it uh, because he does affect the game. But if, like I said, if there's controversy and you can get, you might as well just get something for him now um, because the Saints are going to need some help potentially when Drew Brees retires or they're going to have to find their next franchise quarterback now, here with, relatively quick.
0: With the Saints, I'll say this as far as their future goes, what separates them as opposed to New England situation is that the Saints don't have a whole lot of other holes. New England, besides replacing Tom Brady and such, they got a lot of problems. That was a big reason why. Brady left New England was of the lack of talent around him. You look at that Saints team, Michael Thomas there at receiver, uh, their defense looks better. I mean, they got some dudes there in New Orleans. um, That's where I would say as opposed to, you know, I would not. Let me rephrase this. I would not be opposed to getting rid of Alvin Kamara, but I wouldn't for the sake of getting ready for a rebuild of some sorts. Because based on that roster, even if Drew Brees moves on, whether it's Jameis getting a chance next year or going and you know paying for a veteran quarterback or drafting a quarterback, I don't think it's going to be a full-on rebuild for the Saints, Tom.
1: I wouldn't call it a full-on rebuild either. Uh, you know it's got to be in their mind, though, who is going to – Maybe I shouldn't have said rebuild necessarily because their defense—they have some players on on defense, and obviously Michael Thomas and, and other pieces on offense that are pretty solid. Uh, and and obviously Sean Payton has been great. Uh, you know, he's had his mishaps, but for the you know for the most part, Sean Payton's uh, he's been there for a while. We talked about coaches earlier. Uh, Sean Payton's got to be up there in my mind as well. Um, but you know they'll they'll find their guy, and I'm saying if Kamara, if there's any controversy uh you know go ahead and and get what you can for him now other than you know putting another year on his body uh you know like you said you don't give running backs another contract necessarily I had the rams learned that the hard way yeah uh with Todd Gurley because it's it's transforming the league's transforming into you know where you kept a running back around for a long time uh to okay there's talent you can get talent in the draft and, and get a quality running back that's going to get the job done.
0: Right, right. Uh, a couple other uh, NFL notes. Uh, do you hear about what uh, Kirk Cousins said today that uh, got people a little worked if, up, Tom?
1: If I die, I die. <laughs> in regards to. He's pulling the strike line out. Well, some of you may die, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make.
0: I was thinking more like uh, the Russian in Rocky. If he dies, he dies. Uh, <laughs>
1: you right. Kirk Cousins doesn't care about COVID.
0: Um, listen, that quote was uh, taken out of context by a lot of folks. He was referring to himself. He went ahead and clarified that he, yes, he is concerned about COVID when it comes to other people and spreading it to other people. But as far as himself goes, if he dies, he dies. I mean, this guy has been healthy and working out and training his whole entire life. I I get where he's coming from there. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he's quite the talker. I think this guy is going to be in the media when he's done, whether he is an analyst. You like that? You like that, yeah. Whether it's in sports talk radio or something. I mean, this guy knows how to draw headlines. Um, I'm very intrigued what Kirk Cousins' future is because he got a glimpse of uh, that – media attention this week with that comment there. I mean, he's not wrong. I agree. I've said the same thing. If I die, I die, but I don't want to spread it to other people. He's not wrong.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, it affects everybody differently. I'm not too worried about myself if I was to get it. Uh, And I had a close run in, uh, did get exposed. I guess you could say, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before got a test. Negative results, Tom's going back to work tomorrow um uh, but that's you good. know I'm not too terribly worried, but at the same time, yeah kirk cousins he doesn't he's he's gonna be a personality when he gets out of the league,
0: <laughs> yeah, and the Vikings team's pretty decent um you know I, I think that's the sleeper team that we're not talking about um that could do some damage that uh got better this off season. Um, you know, watch out. I'm very intrigued to see what that Vikings team does uh, as far as that goes. A couple of uh, starting quarterbacks have been named, Tom, around the league. Uh, The Chargers say they're going to go with uh, Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback. Washington going to go with uh, Haskins as their guy. Uh, I want to start with Washington first here. Alex Smith literally just got cleared a couple weeks ago. I think right now Alex Smith is a better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins, but you gotta think this Washington team is Washington team is not competing for the playoffs anytime soon. Uh as much as I like Alex Smith, that injury is gonna take a while to get back to just in a routine of sorts and to be ready to go. So I understand that yes, he might be better than Haskins, but not quite ready to go, and Haskins is your future. Um you know, with that being said, if he's cleared, right? If Washington was in a position, Tom, if this was a borderline playoff team, Alex Smith is your guy and you're riding him to see if you make the postseason. With this circumstance, I totally understand why they're going forward with Haskins here. I mean, Alex Smith's cleared, but I wouldn't
1: call him game ready. I mean, well, it's been two years since he's played an NFL game.
0: There's a big difference between cleared and game ready.
1: Oh, and he's he's not, I wouldn't call him even close to game ready. You know, he's probably, you know, practicing now, getting back into the field of things. Uh, and with an injury like his, it, I mean, that injury could have killed him, literally. Uh, I, mean, you, I mean, you know, they say people that get bit by a shark and, and are fine, don't lose any limbs, their ass is back in the water. That's not everybody. You know, him being in the pocket, he's got to be a l- little bit nervous. I would be, um, you know, and you said that he's better than Haskins. Well, hell, I think the Chargers would be lucky to have Alex Smith because I think he's better than Tyron Taylor. Uh, right. We can get to the Chargers here in a second, but I think that Haskins is better than Tyron Taylor.
0: Yeah. Um, the Chargers in their situation, it's, uh, it's very unique in the sense of that this team thinks that they're decent, that they can t- contend for the playoffs. The reality is they can't. So do their fans. <laughs> do they have fans? <laughs> um, the, yeah, the, the fans that they do have, the fans that they do have, think that they could contend for the playoffs. They
1: shouldn't even be sharing a stadium with the Rams. They shouldn't even be in the same stadium as the Rams. And
0: don't the Rams they still own it? Aren't re- they? You know, re- aren't they leasing it from the Rams?
1: I believe so, and only rightfully so because it's Stan Kroenke's money, or some of it at least, even though I think some of it's funded by the city of Los Angeles.
0: So we, we got um, a whole other situation just you, like the Giants yeah. and the Jets in the Meadowlands where the Jets were playing at Giants Stadium for all those years?
1: Right. I mean, the Chargers should know their place, but, I mean, you should they should be relegated to the practice field to play. The, the Rams should uh, have, like – I mean, I'm sure Oakland –
0: they should have lifted their leg and placed their mark on that stadium, and and said, you know what, SoFi, forget the money. We're calling this Ram Stadium, and we're going to make the Chargers play at Ram Stadium.
1: <laughs> right. And I don't. Uh, Did do the Chargers have the SoFi uh, sponsorship on their jersey?
0: Uh I don't think so. Or, I'm trying to think. I think that's a cronky thing
1: because I haven't seen anything from the. Yeah, I, I think that's true too. Um. But yeah, it's it's like come on. I mean, the Raiders and the Chargers should have played like a seven game football series to see who had to move to Las Vegas. But <laughs> after seeing speaking of the Raiders, you saw you saw the, what they're calling the Death Star the stadium now. It looks like the coolest stadium in the league.
0: From the outside it looks like a toilet seat.
1: you think ah uh, I uh, maybe Maybe uh I like but both the
0: new stadiums. Top of the line. I like both the new stadiums in Vegas and LA, don't get me wrong. But the Raiders stadium kind of does look like something you, you would take a dump on.
1: Well, Patrick Mahomes might have his chance later on in the season.
0: He might. Uh no fans in uh, that. in Vegas. I I'm I'm sure the Raiders want anything uh as long as they're out of uh Oakland, they're pretty pleased. But as far as that quarterback situation goes, Tyron Taylor, the starter with the Chargers, Justin Herbert. I was not high on Herbert, Tom, in this draft, Um, you know, out of Oregon. He had some accuracy issues throughout his career. Um, I think he's a project. I'm not saying that, you know, Herbert's going to be a bust and such, but at least, you know, if we're going to look at this as – positively as possible for Justin Herbert and for the Chargers and Tyrod Taylor. I think the spin is here that the Chargers believe they can make the postseason. They're going to go ahead and go with the quarterback that gives them the best chance to to get to the postseason for now in Tyrod Taylor. Um, But at the end of the day, he's just a placeholder. Justin Herbert's the guy. We're eventually going to find out if if Herbert will be the guy or not, but – I think the Chargers even know that it's going to take some time with Herbert. This won't be overnight.
1: So you don't think Tyrod – or how many games did Tyrod play for the Browns before Baker stepped in?
0: He played uh, three if, and a half and uh, got hurt. Baker let him back from behind and never gave up the job since.
1: Okay, that, I guess, yeah, he did get hurt. I would say if Tyrod – and the Chargers, it might not even be all on Tyrod at this point. I think if the Chargers hit the bed in the first four games, I think we see Herbert
0: out there. Yeah, I could see that.
1: Um, I think if they drop the first four, I think we see Herbert, just to give him a try and let you know see what he's capable of. I think maybe I'm saying it too prematurely, but maybe his ceiling is like what we see of Marcus Mariota right now. Obviously, easy comparison because both are from Oregon, but I can see
0: that. What about, you want to talk about quarterbacks, Miami? That's a very interesting situation, too, in that you got Fitzmagic there, but you know Tua is your future. Tua's coming off that injury, and you still have Josh Rosen around for some reason. He's still hanging out there, too. Um, That's very odd. I think Fitzmagic's going to be their opening day starter, but it's more so just waiting on Tua to be 100% healthy. I mean, everybody knows is the future of that franchise. I don't think Fitzpatrick's a bad placeholder, but I, I think it's more so that they don't want to rush uh, Tua, and based on the team they're putting out next year, they're not going to be playing making the playoffs. I, I totally get that uh, of why you would want to hold out Tua uh, in that sense there in Miami.
1: Yeah, you want to make sure he's he's ready to go, and you know what that injury. You know potentially if he was to hurt it again, and might you know alter his career. Uh, so you want to make sure he's healthy, ready to go. There's you know for Miami, at the, you know it's kind of like it's kind of like some other franchises. It's just kind of like well, you know it's kind of like the Redskins. We you know you're not making the playoffs. It's not going to happen this year. So you know you have what you think is your future in the depth chart. Uh, at this point, I feel really bad for Josh Rosen. I mean, he's been passed around like a ball of crown. Uh, I mean, where's he going to be? You know, he's not obviously the greatest. Does he have a place in the league? Maybe. But at this point, it's just like, what what's going to happen?
0: He has gotten the to most to
1: him. Is he going to be one of those quarterbacks on call?
0: He's gotten the most unfair shake of any top ten quarterback I've ever seen. He was in an awful situation I mean, in Arizona he- when he did start. He had no offensive line, and he played bad, but I don't blame him for that. In Miami, they didn't get, give him a chance and you know started Fitzmagic all year last year, and now they draft Tua. I've never been a Josh Rosen fan, but I feel bad for him. I mean, he didn't get the shot that he deserves.
1: He did get one of the worst shakes, and... You know, for seemingly no reason, but I don't know what kind of bad karma he has, but it's obviously showing,
0: right? And and then the the, the way that people were talking about him too. One of the criticisms that people had for him was that uh, uh, around NFL circles, well, he's uh, he's too liberal. I'm like, what? What does that have to do with playing quarterback? <laughs> I mean, like, literally, right. everybody has gone after this guy. For one reason or another, I feel for Josh Rosen. Maybe. I think in Josh Rosen's ideal situation, he gets cut uh, before the season begins. And, you know, he ends up as a number two quarterback somewhere and then gets a shot if somebody goes down. Uh, But considering where he was at a couple years ago, it's not uh, an ideal situation, uh, comparatively speaking. I feel bad for Josh. We're going to talk some more uh, NFL, some fantasy football with uh, Ben Heisler. As uh, he's set to join us from Sports Illustrated coming up on the other side. Coming up later on in the show, going to talk some college football, NBA playoffs, also uh, Tom Fullery before we get out of here as well. Stay with us as we roll along. Harold Jones support. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from Sports Illustrated. He covers the fantasy football world, also the sports gambling scene. It is Ben Eisler who makes his debut on the program. You may know him from his time at 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City as well. Ben, glad we could finally make this connection, man, and have you on. Thanks for joining us.
2: It's crazy, Tyler, that you were just only a handful of miles away for all this time, and now it took the world of fantasy sports and gambling to bring us both together. But I appreciate you having me on. Good to be
0: here. Yeah, Ben. uh, First off, for for those that I'm sure are very familiar with you, tell us what you got going on at uh, Sports Illustrated, what you're up to these days covering the fantasy football and the sports gambling scene.
2: Yeah. So as, as you mentioned, my time at 610 Sports Radio, that was when I really started to dive into the fantasy space. I was hosting Fantasy Football Sundays. We really built that show up over you know the course of four years there. And then I sort of parlayed that job uh, into running the media operations side of a new startup daily fantasy company. And I was there with them for about maybe a year and a half or so. And unfortunately, we lost our funding. Um, and Sports Illustrated ended up coming along a handful of months later when I was out hustling, trying to sort of find what would be next in my career. But uh, we've really built a a really cool platform. Uh, We just started a new subscription service called SI Fantasy Pro, uh, which encompasses both the gambling side as well as the daily fantasy side. And for those that are just in your more traditional season-long fantasy football league that's uh, just looking for a little bit of advice, really good rankings and projections, uh, stardom sit type tools, uh, that's over at SI Fantasy Plus. So if anybody's looking, to make sure that they are prepared for their upcoming drafts, whether it be this week or beginning of next week, definitely head on over to si.com slash fantasy or si.com slash gambling. All the information is there. We're constantly putting out probably upwards of maybe eight to 14 articles a day, plenty of videos to make it easy to digest. Uh, There's just so much content to consume Tyler that we try to make it as as simple and as straightforward as possible because fantasy football should be fun and it shouldn't be overwhelming and complex and and make you want to tear your hair out.
0: So I got to ask you then with uh, you working on both the fantasy side and the sports gambling side with sports gambling being legalized in a decent number of States, how much has that changed or changed at all the fantasy football and fantasy sports landscape?
2: I always like to say that, you know, fantasy and daily fantasy in particular is like sports gambling's like younger, more naive brother. Like gambling's been around the block a few times. It's, it's bought beer for its underage younger brother. Like they're, they're so connected, but I think a lot of people still see them in in very opposite ends of the spectrum. I will tell you that I do not do any daily fantasy research without First, going over line totals, and um, you know, we'll see where not where not the sharps are are likely to bet their money over the course of a game. If I'm going to be doing a daily fantasy stack for week one, I want to know. Uh, If a team has moved up from a total of 45 and we're starting to see the line move up to 47 or 48, I'm following weather patterns. All these different things that play into effect for sports betting uh, go into projection models for fantasy as well. So especially if you're in the props market where you're trying to determine whether or not someone's going to get over under 55 and a half receiving yards or six and a half receptions. Um, all these different things play into gambling, and especially on the daily fantasy side, you're trying to make the best lineup possible on a week in, week out basis. So I think the two are absolutely connected at the hip, and uh, that's the way that I think a lot more players are starting to play.
0: Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. And uh, we're seeing both industries it been benefit from each other. People wondered if the you know, sports gambling industry would just overtake fantasy football, but it seems like that. They work well together of sorts.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And especially with you know companies like DraftKings and FanDuel opening up their own sports book. Uh, you know, a company like PointsBet, who's based out in, in Denver, Colorado, uh, really starting to partner up with a lot of different professional teams and organizations and trying to find new methodologies and more games for people that were on the fantasy side before. Try to find a sort of a new opportunity to really dive in together you know, they know that there's going to be uh, a substantial money-making opportunity. I mean, DraftKings, uh, Tyler just signed Michael Jordan to their advisory board. He now has an equity stake in the company. So it's advantageous to these fantasy companies to be able to evolve over time. Understand that sports gambling is a little bit more of a straightforward process, but there's always going to be that market for the high-stakes fantasy player or even the casual player that wants to put in a $20 lineup and have a chance to win a million dollars each week.
0: Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. So Let's uh, look at fantasy football for 2020. I got my own draft uh, coming up on Sunday. And, you know, for years with fantasy, Ben, it was so frustrating if you would pick during the middle of the preseason and then all of a sudden one of the guys you selected gets hurt. Now with the preseason not in the picture, I imagine that's the best thing that could have happened to a lot of fantasy players of not having those, uh, those injuries pop up when your guys haven't even completed their uh, their uh, preseason just yet?
2: You would think so. I will say that from the early rounds, the guys that you know are the absolute studs and the players that you're targeting early on your draft, I would say that's 100% true. But then again, most of these players over the last couple of years, Tyler, have been sitting out anyway. They haven't yeah. really been a part... Uh, of those preseason games unless there is a team that you know, has a new head coach and he's trying to make a new statement like, oh, we're not going to you know go ahead and, and not have our guys play. We need to get ready for football competition and, and all that BS. <laughs> so I, I think from that standpoint, yes. Um, however, I think it's an opportunity as well in the preseason to sometimes really get a bit of an edge when it comes to drafting some of these late-round flyers, uh, guys that you might be able to pull in your 13th or 14th round, high upside guys, uh, You know, the backup running back that in case a starter goes down uh, has the chance to really sort of catapult. Like Chase Edmonds was that guy Ah, uh, for Arizona last year, we started to see him a little bit in the preseason. Um, you know, when David Johnson went down due to injury, Chase Edmonds put up fantastic numbers. Uh, and now he's a very high upside running back in that Arizona offense behind Ken Drake, who's going as a late first round pick. Yeah, but this is how you find out about some of these guys. You know, Tony Pollard was a name. Uh, that a lot of folks were intrigued by over in Dallas. If anything were to happen to Ezekiel Elliott with that high octane offense, all of a sudden Tony Pollard can step in. He'll catch a couple passes week in and week out. But, you know, if he takes on the Zeke Elliott role, you know, is that worth taking a 10th or 11th round pick on for a guy that may not play most weeks? But if he does play, it's because Zeke Elliott is injured and he has a chance to be a running back one, I think without question. So that's how you learn about some of these guys that you have the ability to take sort of that late round flyer on and really be able to use that matchup uh, to your advantage later uh, in your fantasy drafts
0: that's that's a very good point uh if you have the first pick in your in your draft bin who is the uh the couple of names that come to mind who would be the guys that you would look at for being worthy of a, a first overall pick in this year's draft
2: so i think if you ask 99.8 5% of fantasy analysts that are doing this on an everyday basis like I am. Who would you take number 1 overall? I think the clear-cut answer for most of them is still going to be Christian McCaffrey. Had a record-breaking season, really almost lapped the field as far as running backs go. Uh continues to see a ton of targets in the passing game if you play in a points per reception league, uh PPR, which is uh what the kids call it these days. Um, you know, he's the safest player to draft. And it's really important to to draft a safe player in the first round because if that guy busts, that could ruin your fantasy season. So Christian McCaffrey is going to be probably what everybody says to be the first pick. And I'm not going to tell anybody no. The guy that I am taking first overall this year is Saquon Barkley. People might look at his numbers last year and think, well, this guy finishes the running back nine. Um, You know, Jason Garrett is taking over as the New York Giants offensive coordinator. Uh, Everything about Jason Garrett screams mediocrity. Why would I take Saquon Barkley over the guy that just lapped the field last year? And the reason is I think volume is going to even go up. For barkley this year okay. so that he's healthy which all reports indicate that he is um you know jason garrett running backs ezekiel elliott the last several years uh led the nfl in rushing for three consecutive years elliott started to get more incorporated in the passing game when that wasn't a part of his game in his early seasons and you know that saquon barkley already is a gifted pass catcher as well i just think from a volume perspective i don't have any concerns about saquon barkley's volume being at where it needs to be or possibly even higher with christian mccaffrey he played about 93 of the snaps last year and we've already seen matt rule talk about how they want to try and limit some of mccaffrey's touches and snaps just because of his workload over the past few seasons he has been great and he is an exceptional player from every level fantasy football reality football whatever it may be i just have some concerns that they might try to take mccaffrey off the field and barkley there's no reason for me to doubt that so i have barkley number one and maybe christian mccaffrey is one b But I don't think you can make a mistake with either one of these guys.
0: Yeah, either one should uh, be spectacular and have great seasons. Uh, You know, here in in the uh, Kansas City area, obviously, people, I'm sure, in some leagues are going to take Patrick number one overall, despite, uh, you know, the value of running back at the uh, fantasy position. Realistically, if you play in a league that, you know, does do this right. What What is a reasonable, you think, draft position for, for somebody to take Patrick or one of these top quarterbacks in this draft?
2: I, it's part of the reason that I love playing in Kansas City leagues because I just know <laughs> how much the Chiefs are going to be overvalued. And, and, and make no mistake – the Chiefs are the best offensive and best offensive in, in football. Mahomes is the number one quarterback off the board. According right. to most fantasy analysts, mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey is the number one tight end off the board. Tyree kill is a top three, top four wide receiver off the board. So there's absolute value. Clyde mm-hmm. Edwards, helaire right now is going as a number six running back off the board. His average draft position has skyrocketed since the offseason that they drafted him through training camp. Um, because everybody is so excited about what he can bring to this offense. And Andy Reid, running backs tend to be very solid fantasy football producers. But I do think, especially in Kansas city, knowing that it's a good offense, knowing that somebody wants sort of a piece of that pie, uh, yeah, they're going to be overvalued. So the only time I would ever say you should draft Patrick Mahomes in the first round is if you're playing in what's called a super flex league and a super flex league is where you can start multiple quarterbacks. You have your quarterback position and then people know about the flex, which is either, you know, a running back, a wide receiver and a tight end, but a super flex includes a quarterback in the mix. And they're really, really fun leagues. And that's where you see quarterbacks really start to go early in fantasy drafts. But as far as an actual draft position, if I'm looking at sports Illustrated's advanced ADP, which takes into effect, the last 10 drafts of the high stakes market. So the guys that are playing this, you know, for tens of thousands of dollars uh, right now, Patrick Mahomes average draft position is the quarterback one going number 33 off the board. So that's in the uh, probably the, the middle part uh, of the, the third round. You know, so middle to late part of the third round. Just because quarterbacks, there's so much value at the position that there's not that much of a difference between, say, the quarterback four and the quarterback 12. Now, Lamar Jackson was the clear-cut number one quarterback last year. Uh, Mahomes is the clear-cut number one running quarterback, I should say, the year before. So there is value Mm -hmm. if you get the right guy. I just think in this type of draft, you need to get running back early. There's so much value at all the other positions that, to me, I'm not spending a first or a second-round pick. I'm even somebody as good as Patrick Mahomes.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely with you there. Uh, j- just to tell you what my situation was last year, Ben, um, I uh, I lost my quarterback. I-, I waited. I was good about it. I, I waited and got Marcus Mariota uh, late and just loaded up on skill Oof. positions. You know, Obviously, he got benched, so I-, I pick up Derek Carr in free agency. But I was so good everywhere else with Michael Thomas and Aaron Jones and a few other guys that I won my league. Um, and so, to right. me, that was the message that it sent. Now it's like, all right, I'm sticking with this strategy. I know for a fact it works to wait on that quarterback. Don't overdraft it because those numbers, realistically, if your quarterback gets you the 20 or the 25 points, then, then uh, that's really all you need out of the quarterback if you can get the rest. There's so much pot- potential for those other skill positions to really just explode.
2: Right. And you want to make sure that you hit right. Like You mentioned Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas was one of those players that lapped the field a season ago. Uh, you know, guys like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, those are the clear cut top tight ends. Uh, you can probably put Zach Ertz and, and maybe Mark Andrews out of Baltimore in the mix as well. But, you know, after that, you can wait. You know, there's plenty of depth at the tight end spots. Guys like Mike Gasicki of the Miami Dolphins is a really intriguing play this year that you can wait until the 10th, 11th, 12th round to get uh, for even a starting caliber tight end. Uh, You know, somebody like TJ Hawkinson, who had a great first game and then kind of disappeared. And a lot of his disappearance is due to Matthew Stafford missing the second half of the year. But every indication about TJ Hawkinson this year is that he is blowing people away in camp. And the Lions passing game the first half of the season was actually on pace to be one of the better ones in the league. Matthew Stafford was on pace to lead the NFL in touchdowns before getting injured in week number nine. So um, there's plenty of value at the tight end spot, at the wide receiver spot, and certainly at the quarterback spot. But you're going to want to load up on those running backs early because after those guys that are getting the three down work, uh, things start to disappear awfully quickly.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they certainly do. Uh, you you mentioned the tight ends with Kittle and Kelsey in particular, and I, I've been hearing that it sounds like that these tight ends, those two in particular, could get picked a lot higher than what we're accustomed to seeing when it comes to those tight ends. I mean, you, you mentioned quite the drop-off after those two, and, and I guess Mark Andrews in the fold there. Um, do, you, do you go ahead, and if you're in the position – Reach and take one of those two if you have the opportunity to do so. What would you do in that circumstance, Ben?
2: Uh, I think it's dependent on who I took in the first round. So if I got, say, the – let's say I got one of the top-tier running backs. I got the Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry. Uh, Maybe you even consider somebody like Miles Sanders or Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a part of that conversation. Um, If you're at the sort of the tail end of the second round and know that you can still get – a dynamic wide receiver in the early part of the third round. Maybe somebody like a uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, who is on pace to have a terrific season uh, coming up this year. Maybe, uh, you know, Tyree Hill is still sitting there. Uh, Deandre Hopkins, Kenny Galladay of Detroit. Uh, and you know that those guys are going to be available in the third round. Mike Evans, as well as a guy who's starting to see his average draft position fall, uh, despite being in a really good offense. Um, Yeah, I don't have a problem taking somebody like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle as early as the mid to late part of the second round. Most of those top tier running backs will be gone. The elite level wide receivers will likely be gone as well. And so it's an opportunity to get the clear cut number one position player. Uh, I have Kittle actually ranked slightly ahead of Travis Kelsey this year. I think the 49ers are going to have to pass a lot more. Kittle is by far and away the clear-cut number one option in the San Francisco 49ers passing offense versus in in Kansas City, you have Tyreek, you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, and you have Kelsey, Um, and there's plenty more options for them to be able to spread the ball around. They need to get Kittle the ball, especially with all the wide receiver injuries in San Francisco this year. So, yeah, I don't have a problem in sort of that back end of the second round. If you want to go ahead and snag that top tight end on the board, whether it's Kelsey for you, whether it's Kittle for you, yeah, I have no problem getting that elite-level player because they're going to put up uh, almost top wide receiver type of numbers at a position and have much more of a variance level between the top wide receivers versus the top tight ends.
0: We are joined by Ben Heisler of Sports Illustrated. We're talking fantasy football here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, ben, uh, t- tell me about some sleepers uh, at those skill positions. Who are some guys that could be available later that people should keep an eye out on?
2: Well, let's start at the quarterback spot. And this is a name that I've actually been been taking a bunch of grief on. But uh, I actually have him as a, a top 12 quarterback this year, despite most fantasy experts having him probably in that quarterback 20 range and that's Jimmy Garoppolo I think the Ooh. 49ers offense as I mentioned before are going to have to pass more than they did a season ago because that defense is going to regress I have some concerns especially after they traded to Forrest Buckner uh, that's an issue that I have considering that their run defense is going to be uh, as efficient as it once was and Garoppolo showed in games where he has to be um going downfield and being passing quarterback he had three games of four plus touchdowns uh, over 350 yards so he can do it it was just san francisco's was so good on, on on defense that they didn't really need him to so i think he steps up they have a fantastic start to the schedule and even with a lot of his wide receivers hurts brandon Ayuk's dealing with a hamstring injury uh debo samuel uh, is dealing with uh with a bad injury to his leg Um, I think a broken foot, I should say, uh, he's still going to be fine because it's a very advantageous schedule. Uh, if you're looking at running backs, um, I'm really big on JK Dobbins this year. He's right now going as the running back 36 off the board. If you go to sports illustrated advanced ADP rankings, um, in the high stakes market, he's actually going as a running back 30, but, um, I looked up his fantasy schedule at the end of the season and uh it's probably the most friendly fantasy schedule uh for any team possible. He gets on the road at Cleveland, followed by at home against Jacksonville and at home against the New York Giants. Jacksonville and the Giants were two of the worst fantasy defenses to running backs a season ago. So I think this is a, almost a perfect opportunity for him to step in. He may not get those carries right away, Tyler, but Mark Ingram is on the wrong side of 30 and I think this is somebody that has a really nice spot moving forward and then if we're looking at a sleeper at the wide receiver position we've already started to see his value drop because he's dealing with a shoulder injury but i love jalen rager i know that a mm. lot of kansas folks might be familiar with his time over at tcu terrific wide receiver you can play him all over the field um this is somebody that had moved from the wide receiver 45 to upwards of wide receiver 35 because of how good of a camp he was having in philadelphia was likely going to be the number one wide receiver until he suffered that shoulder injury i don't think that changes just because he injured his shoulder Deshaun Jackson. Jackson is going to be that number one guy, at least for the first couple of weeks. But once Rager comes back, he's going to be a stud in this offense. And There's not a lot of other wide receivers that are taking away competition and targets for him. So you can go ahead and get him as maybe a 12th, 13th round deep sleeper in your league because people are going to be worried about the shoulder injury. But I think this guy steps up and has a big rookie year, and I really like him. He's one of my favorite sleepers this year over at SI.com.
0: I like that. That's uh, that's great. Uh, some great analysis there. Uh, let's talk defense here. Who are the uh, defenses to uh, watch out for in fantasy this year?
2: Oh, well, the thing about defenses, at least for me, is that I tend to stream them on a week-in, week-out level. But if you're looking for you know, the defense that you want to take, maybe in that 13th or 14th round, um certainly the Steelers' defense is a team that I'm keeping an eye out on. I, I think Baltimore's defense will continue to progress. Buffalo should be in really good shape. Um, we mentioned the Niners. I do think they're going to regress, but they'll still be probably within that top five range, new England, certainly in the mix. Um, you know, the, the, thing about the chiefs defense is that they finished the season as a top five fantasy defense, uh, especially in the second half, they were taking the ball away more often. They were getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, and a lot of times when teams are down, they're going to make mistakes in the second half of ball games. And Kansas city was able to capitalize on that. Um, my only issue is that I just think the offense is going to score so many points that the defense might sort of take their foot off the gas a little bit and they might give up some unnecessary touchdowns and some big plays that they normally wouldn't otherwise in a close game. So they're probably not on my radar, at least initially. Um, But I would probably say the Steelers, uh, I think the bears defense, by the way, has a chance to step back. Uh, They hit a big regression point a season ago. Uh, They signed Robert Quinn to help um, Akeem Hicks and, um, uh, Khalil Mack get to the quarterback this year, so I think the Bears' defense is going to force a few more turnovers this year. But I'd say Steelers, Patriots, um, and then the and then uh, the Buffalo Bills would probably be my top three defenses on the board.
0: Interesting, uh, very uh, very interesting uh, on that defensive front. Uh, and, and the Chiefs, those uh, w- w- they score so much on offense that that defense is going to be on the field a whole lot. That's something you also have to take into account there. Uh, so yeah, very uh, good point there. Uh, last thing as far as when it comes to specific positions, the the kicker spots. Uh, what are you looking for as far as kickers? Who are some guys that you could pick up that will still be available late, uh, you think, that would be a good snag for somebody to get a couple points?
2: I, the the thing that I always tell people about kickers, I tell people two things. The first is that you should get rid of kickers in your fantasy league. I have plenty <laughs> of respect for kickers in the NFL, but I'd much rather use that spot uh, as a flex spot or an extra roster spot, especially with, with COVID-19 going on, you're going to have players missing weeks and you're going to have more injury spots. Um, so why even worry about a kicker at this point? Um, if I had to go ahead and, and take a few guys that I like Harrison Butker. Justin Tucker, the guys that have been really good over the last couple of years. Uh, certainly they're probably the the two at the top of my list. Greg Zerline with the Dallas Cowboys. Basically uh, the way to play it, Will Lutz is another name with the, the New Orleans Saints. Go ahead and take a kicker on a really good offense because they're going to be in more positions to kick field goals and score and just add consistent points. If you're taking a decent kicker uh, on a bad team, you know, like, like Josh Lambeau is a good kicker. He's on Jacksonville. Yeah. The Jaguars probably aren't scoring that often. And, and even when they do move the ball down the field, it'll be in the second half and they're likely down in a lot of these games. So sure. go and target kickers on really good offenses and you're probably going to end up being okay. Um, but if I were really telling you the truth though, I would say just <laughs> get rid of your kicker entirely.
0: So that brings up an interesting point, Ben, your fantasy mm-hmm. commissioner, How are you setting up your league? What is the best way to set up a league if you have the power to choose to do so?
2: So I'm the commissioner of one league that is a super flex league, which is what we talked about earlier, where you have the opportunity um, to play two quarterbacks in the same starting lineup rather than having a traditional flex. You get that super flex. You can play a quarterback or a running back, wide receiver, or tight end. To me, I think it puts more of an emphasis on – the quarterback in fantasy which typically does not matter it's like it's more it's more similar to the actual nfl where the quarterback position is the most important position right Versus in the nfl and fantasy fantasy running backs the most important position but in the nfl you know running backs for a dime a dozen and you move guys out after two three years you run them into the ground you move on right so i think the super flex league allows for a better strategy uh to be able to go ahead and try and get those quarterbacks early because it's more suited to what we typically would see out of football so that's probably one of the biggest things that i like to do and especially this year and, and for those that you know are commissioners of their leagues and want to go to si.com uh dr roto put out a great piece about how to covet proof your league whether it be with a draft strategy or setting up options within the course of your fantasy league to make sure that you're set in the event that there is a uh, coronavirus outbreak um I would say add a few more roster spots to your league so that you can move guys around and be able to put some guys on injured reserve, knowing that if Christian McCaffrey ends up getting the coronavirus, that you don't have to drop Christian McCaffrey uh, because right. you don't have enough roster spots to be able to field a team. So add a few more injury designated spots. Know that there's going to be some guys that are going to miss out, and there's going to be a lot of late announcements as well, sure. because the coronavirus continues to change and we're continuing to get more information about it. So. Open up a few more roster spots, be a little bit more creative about your roster construction, and get rid of kickers.
0: I like that. I like that. I might have to do that with my league. Uh, Now, everybody wonders, how do you pull off a great trade? Do you find the idiot within your league or something? What's the key been to, to pulling off trades? Are you much of a trade guy in fantasy yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm a big trade guy, and uh, unfortunately, that's hurt me in a couple leagues that I'm in because people tend to think that I have some sort of advantage over them. I, I, I really don't. We're, you know, all of us are getting the same information from a lot of these same sources, you know, especially with Twitter and social media. That stuff comes out fast and people can get little updates on their phone. As far as the way that I like to trade, do trades, um, I think it's always important to look at the schedule. Try and figure out okay who are the guys that have really good fantasy playoff matches um and maybe be able to target those guys especially if you're off to a good start if you're struggling you just need to win every game possible so maybe you find somebody that's gotten off to a rough start in their league you see that they are in need of a wide receiver versus you could probably use a little bit more running back depth and maybe jk dobbins is sitting on their bench and he hasn't started yet because mark ingram is still healthy So maybe you can afford the opportunity to take an upside guy like J.K. Dobbins, knowing he could be a fantasy stud in the playoffs if he plays, and you give up sort of a mid-tier wide receiver to help that guy win at least a game or two at this point. So look at matchups, look at the schedule, um, and also don't be afraid to to buy low on a player or sell high on a player as well. If somebody got off to a great start and you have some concerns of whether or not that's going to continue – Um, go ahead and try and move them, try and get the the best value back that you can uh, before they turn back into a pumpkin. So it's not always going to last. uh, And that's why I think it's important to understand the actual perspective and player value uh, for your guy, just before you you hang on to them before it's too late.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, I love it, Ben. Some great insights, great analysis there. Uh, Fantasy football, just around the corner. Uh, The season gets started in uh, just over a week when uh, the Chiefs uh, take on the uh, Houston Texans. Uh, Where else can uh, people find you and see all the uh, great work you're doing with SI, Ben?
2: No, I appreciate that, Tyler. You can go to si.com slash fantasy or si.com slash gambling. A bunch of my content and our team's content is all available there. Uh, And then if you want to follow me on social media, on Twitter, you can do so at Benny Heiss, B-E-N-N-Y. H-E-I-S, plenty of fantasy content, plenty of of non-fantasy content. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well, at Benny Heiss as well.
0: Awesome. Great stuff, Ben. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, best of luck with your league and uh, your season ahead in the uh, fantasy football world. We'll definitely be talking again. Thanks for joining us, Ben.
2: My pleasure, Tyler. Looking forward to uh, catching up again soon and finding out how you decided to ban kickers <laughs> from your league because you took my advice. Hey, uh, I
0: just—if I can pull that off, I will uh, be glad to do so. No, no doubt about that. That interview with Ben Heisler was presented by our friends at No Coast Lids, a hat brand based out of Lawrence, Kansas, a company that embraces Midwestern values, hard work, having fun, and treating everyone the right way. Find them on Facebook at No Coast Lids. And very soon you can check them out online at NoCoastLids.com. Their website coming soon. Their signature hats include the Kansas Sunrise, the Kansas Thunderstorm, and many more. They have four colors found in all designs that represent the four seasons we have: green for spring, Blue for summer, red for fall, and white for winter. And they also have a new line of Kansas Sunrise hoodies coming soon. All products can be found with pictures and pricing on the Facebook Shop section at No Coast Lids. And their hat styles include truckers, fitted, beanies, and visors. Check out No Coast Lids on Facebook. Tell them Tyler Jones sent you, and you'll be glad you did. Big thanks to Ben Heisler for joining guess, here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Let's talk some college football. Tom, we're just over a week away from the Big 12 season starting. Uh, we got about nine games on the FBS slate this weekend. Uh, something just to hold us over. Labor Day is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you got BYU and Navy. And I don't know if I've ever been more excited, Tom, to see a bunch of 28-year-olds and soldiers play football in my life than I am for uh, Labor Day. I will take that matchup gladly.
1: Who, I guess we're not picking teams this week. Who you got, BYU or Navy?
0: You know, B- BYU is one of those teams that we always feel like should be good, but they're not. I think they went like 7-6 and six last year. Um and so I'm not not getting my expectations up to be disappointed again by, by BYU. So I will take the midshipmen and uh, the time-tested and true triple-option offense to come through. I'll, I'll go with Navy in that one.
1: You know, I will pick Navy as well. I will be rooting for the midshipmen this weekend. Well,
0: that, it's the American thing to do. Like You can't root against the service academy.
1: Right, now, now, if they're playing your team, you can
0: right, right, but if it's just like a straight up matchup of deciding do I choose for team A or a service academy, you have to cheer for the soldiers. I mean, it's just America, that's how it works,
1: man labor Day, I mean, it's meant to be
0: right yeah i'll, I'll be uh I'll be certain to be a big
1: american weekend.
0: right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that'll be fun uh, when that gets going on on Monday night. But then we get into the Big 12 slates of games, and uh, we found out the start times for these uh, Big 12 games that will be going on next week. And a little reminder here for the uh, folks at home, what the Big 12 is doing is it is a nine-game conference slate. But before everybody does that, they'll play one non-conference game, and it is a home game for everybody in the league. So here is what the games are. It's going to start out Friday, September 11th with SMU and TCU. That's a rivalry, uh, the DFW showdown. Uh, That game gets started at 8 o'clock on FS1. Then on Saturday at 6.30, you get K-State and Arkansas State on FS1. Uh, six o'clock on pay-per-view number five, Oklahoma taking on Missouri state. Tom, uh, why would anyone pay 55 bucks to watch that game when they can just get a Reddit stream?
1: Right. I mean, I'm watching a, I don't even pay for ESPN. I'm watching a, I'm watching OKC and the Rockets right now. Um, for whatever reason, OU decides to do a pay-per-view game every year, like they're some sort even, of boxing match.
0: Even in the damn it's pandemic,
1: the most arrogant. <laughs> yeah, it's the most. You know, it's it's typical OU fans. It's the most arrogant shit that I've ever seen. <laughs> OSU would never.
0: <laughs> I mean, like we're in a pandemic. You can't even have everybody there, and the networks I'm sure would love to have OU on TV. You have a reduced non-conference schedule. And instead, some of these goomers out there are going to be spending sixty bucks to watch them beat the crap out of Missouri State and Bobby Petrino. Like, what world is that?
1: Yeah, I would not. That's where I mean, if OSU charged fifty-five bucks to watch the Tulsa game, I wouldn't even do that. At least on TV, right? Uh, six- uh, I mean, for what it's worth, I'll be at the OSU game.
0: Yeah, uh, you'll be at that game. You'll be one of the few as uh, OSU takes on Tulsa. And that might be the most exciting game of the slate. Uh, OSU's going to be about a 14-point favorite, it seems. Last week, we did the updated AP Top 25, and that put OSU at about number 11. You know, Tulsa's not a bad team either. Uh, Making this trip to Stillwater, I think Oklahoma State will be just fine but uh I would say Tom that based on what we saw last year with Zach Smith a quarterback for TU that OSU defense should be tested should be a good test for them out of the gate
1: Oh 100% I'm not I'm not looking for uh OSU to come out and and run Tulsa over by any means I kind of thought that maybe last year and I you know I was Drinking beers outside or outside of the stadium at halftime, contemplating my life uh, when <laughs> Tulsa was up twenty-one to twenty.
0: Right, um, yeah. Tulsa—they got a decent team. Zach Smith will have a good year. That'll be a good test for the Pokes out of the gate. KU is uh, going to fill the void of the Pac-12. This is what it comes down to when you're the University of Kansas: is that uh, you got to be the new Pac-12 team, as it will have. Jayhawks after dark on nine p at nine p m on September twelfth on FS one between KU and Coastal Carolina. KU is going to be about a three point favorite. Coastal Carolina, of course, won this game in Lawrence a year ago. Les Miles is not named a starting quarterback yet. He he says he only play one quarterback, whether that's Thomas McVitie or Miles Kendrick. But either way, uh. No fans at Lawrence, by the way. KU and Iowa State and West Virginia will not have fans for their openers. The other seven Big Twelve fans will. This is this has got an eerie feel to it, Tom. No fans, late night game, a opponent that very well could beat KU and not be surprised to it. This is uh, this is one that's worth keeping the TV on when it gets close to midnight on a Saturday of next week, Tom.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, Ku's, you know, used to not having too many fans, uh, so it shouldn't be too bad. I'm just kidding. I mean, uh, way to go for the low KU, hanging fruit joke. Had a, had... I know, I know, I know, but uh, I, you know, hopefully the the OSU game might be over by then, and I can catch that game on the radio on the way home from Stillwater, or maybe social distance in Stillwater at a bar. <laughs> Uh, to finish, to watch that game off. Right. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I think, K, you can pull it off. Do you have any idea on who you think the quarterback will be? I think it's probably going to be Kendrick, it seems.
0: So, that's a, a very good question. Uh, Les Miles is confident in his offensive line. It's a veteran group. Um, I think McVitie is the more talented quarterback. But if you were looking for someone... Uh, to escape pressure and run, then uh, Kendrick would be your guy. I think McVitie has the edge, but I don't think it's a significant one at all. I think that maybe even uh, there might be someone they like right now that very well could change to being the other guy by by next week. I think this is still an open competition. I'd lean towards McVitie, but I don't say that confidently at all uh, as far as that goes. Uh, other games in the Big 12 slate. Iowa State, we mentioned no fans there in Ames. Originally, they were going to have about – 40% capacity, and they said, eh, not so much. They're going to bring in the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. You may remember them as uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Raging Cajuns, Tom, uh, Iowa State and Brock Purdy, they should have their way, but uh, that is uh, one of the best mascots, I think, in all of college football, the Ragin' Cajuns.
1: Yeah, you don't want to mess with the Cajuns, you know. You might not understand what they say, but uh, I I think, you know, they have seemed to get a little bit better than previous years. I think OSU played them a few times years back, and it was not so hot of a matchup. Uh, they didn't really have things together then. But it, I think they might – I wouldn't say give them a run or have any chance at winning, but I think it will probably be a decent test as well. Uh, Jones, a side note on tickets. We talk about no fans and some teams doing fans. The ticket prices for these games – are outstanding. I uh, did some research today. The cheapest Bedlam ticket you can find right now, granted we make it that long, the cheapest Bedlam ticket you can buy is $500. And then there was another one listed there for about 1000 The OSU Tulsa game, the cheapest ticket I could find online, $132. Wow. And from what I heard from the emails I've got sent, there are about fourteen to 15,000 seats available. Uh, and that's before you put in all the, you know, total. So there'll be about 15,000 total people in the stadium that usually sits about 60 plus. Um, so that'll be interesting to see, but the ticket prices, and that was a big reason I went ahead and got the season ticket. The Texas game I looked up, and you're looking at about $500 to get in the door of Boone Pickens Stadium for that game on oh. Halloween. Um, yeah. And that's why I bought it. But that'll be interesting to see what these ticket prices go up to. It's not like you can just go in and get an $8 ticket last minute uh, right. to get into these games now. I mean, this is now a – I guess what you would call a privilege. Um, so on them- if I was – if this was any foreshadowing, I would have bought, like, six season tickets.
0: Oh, and then, like, on the uh, you know whole ordeal that you got to do a COVID screening when you go in, uh, check your temperature and all that, and I'm sure sign a waiver. I wonder if the name on the ticket has anything to do with the waiver. I mean, that could be a whole complication in itself, too. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a whole different environment when it comes to going to college football. I'll say this, Tom. Um, if, if I'm a fan now, I don't go to very many games as a fan anymore. I would, I would stay home as a fan this year. I would not pay, you know, 200 bucks to go see Oklahoma state pay, play Tulsa. I mean, the, the, the prices are just outrageous and you have to wear a mask the whole time and all that stuff there to me, it's not worth it. But if you're somebody that already had season tickets purchased or something like that, Then uh, this is a pretty unique opportunity for uh, for you know to be out there and see those games for themselves and have an up close view of some sorts. It it feels like a spring game, but an actual meaningful game,
1: right? Or a chance to you know make some money uh, because just totaling up two games, or even just the Texas game, if I was to sell my ticket, because I'm I'm five rows from from the ledge five rows back from the field um and so i could sell just the texas game and essentially go to the other other games for free um is essentially what it's come down to because the prices are so inflated uh you know if osu is not any good knock on wood i think they will be by that time i could turn around and make some of this money back or even more uh So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what these prices inflate to, or, you know, maybe you don't get your money. Well, OSU did say that if they do cancel the season for whatever reason, that they will refund the money or prorate it, um, for the ticket costs. So that's good. It's kind of a win-win. It will be a very interesting season. Uh, I'm excited to see what it looks like in two weeks.
0: Yeah. West Virginia gets Eastern Kentucky. That should be fine. Baylor gets Louisiana Tech. That's going to be the Fox game of the week, uh, believe it or not. It'll be the debut of Dave Aranda as head coach. Texas is going to host UTEP. Uh, Ticket prices, Tom. uh, I guess people aren't too excited about football in Austin, even with the uh, minimal attendance. Uh, You can get into that game for about $77 um, there in Austin. And uh, Texas Tech plays Houston Baptist. I mean, everybody, it's a warm-up game, it seems, for almost everybody in the league. Um, you know, you, you look at Oklahoma, they named Spencer Rattler their starting quarterback this week. This will be the first live game action he gets. I'm looking on down the line. I know Oklahoma State's going to be tested against Tulsa. I think KU's a better team than Coastal Carolina. You go down the line, there's no reason that the Big 12 shouldn't go 10-0 and in these non-conference games Next week, but I won't be surprised if there's a couple of slip ups along the way.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, you know, I hope KU does not slip up. Uh, that would just be this embarrassing. This might be their only opportunity for um, a win. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That 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 is fair. I, I think they can. I think they can pull out. I think they can pull one out somewhere. Uh, you know, I, I think they could potentially upset a, a team like Tech or, uh, yeah, I would say Tech. <laughs> uh, the other teams, maybe not so much. But, you know, you never know with the Les Miles team. Uh, I, I think just because there's no fans doesn't mean KU got, didn't get better in the offseason with Les Miles coming into his second year. I think KU is going to. I would imagine they would look a little bit better than they did last year. Did, uh, at least it would help.
0: did you see what Coastal Carolina did in their postgame last year when they beat KU in Lawrence, Tom? I did not. So they ran into the locker room jumping up and down celebrating. That's fine, whatever. But uh, they got a Jayhawk pinata. And after they won, they were all taking shots at the pinata <laughs> Uh, with candy and celebrating their victory by beating up the Jayhawk pinata that didn't sit well with the uh, folks in Lawrence.
1: No, I (laughs) I would imagine it probably didn't. Uh, You know, uh, if you're a team like coastal Carolina and you beat a team like KU, I think maybe that's a little extreme, (laughs) but I still feel like, all right, you, you know, have your fun. Um, I think KU, hopefully, I think they should probably play that in the locker room before the game right? of them beating the Jayhawk up. I think they, they just, should, instead of studying film, just put that on repeat and, uh, whatever seniors are back this year. Uh, I, I think they'll know, Right. uh, you know, I, that would use that as motivation. Les Miles seems to be the kind of guy that would do that.
0: Right. I could very well see that. Being the case uh, of them uh, looking back on that film of beating up the uh, pinata. Now, it was their first ever Power Five win, Coastal Carolinas. Uh, So you get why they can be excited uh, as far as that goes. Real quick, uh, we mentioned Rattler getting named the starter at uh, OU as we wrap up the Big 12 discussion here. uh, You know, it was a quote unquote competition between him and Tanner Mordecai, but Mordecai got hurt and missed about 70 to 75% of camp there in Norman. But Rattler, former number one player in the country, I mean, one of the highest-rated recruits in college football history. It was going to be a big shocker if he wasn't going to be named the starter here. You have an Oklahoma program that this is their fourth different quarterback in the last four years, that they've had these uh, transfer quarterbacks. And the last OU quarterback – that was homegrown was Trevor Knight, and that didn't go so well. Blake Bell wasn't so great, you know, before him. And uh, you know, it was what, up until gosh, you, you gotta go back to, you know, Landry Jones was the last homegrown OU quarterback that was decent. Um, you know, it's been a while. So this is uh this is going back in time a bit. I, I think Rattler can have a great year and he can be the real deal, but this is going to be different I think for OU fans that have seen their quarterbacks the last several years just step up and be great immediately. There's going to be a learning curve for Rattler that uh it's it's going to take some time for him to be the great quarterback that a lot of people expect him to be. This isn't going to happen overnight.
1: I don't think it's going to happen overnight either and you know you talk to some hardcore OU fans, you know, one that we all know Jose uh, one of our friends of the show um, just thinks that, you know, it's not going to be any different. This is Lincoln Riley's first non-transfer quarterback and it'll be, you know, it, it, it'd be foolish to think that he doesn't make any mistakes. And I, I think that maybe there will be some, a small backlash for it, but I mean, you have to, you have to expect it. Uh You know, OU is kind of lucked out in that category and has been spoiled here for the past couple of years. And so, you know, when that happens, you think, well, maybe it's going to be a little bit different this year. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe OU luck's out again and Rattler wins the Heisman, but I wouldn't put any money on that.
0: All right. Uh You got Rattler football after uh, Johnny football, you know. Uh, <laughs> who knows uh, as far as right. that goes. But, uh, Tom, uh, we got Tom Fulry coming up here in just a bit, but I do want to take some time to talk about the uh, NBA. And uh, actually, as we're recording this, this Thunder Rockets game is finishing up, and this thing's exciting. Uh, hopefully, by the end of this segment, we'll know the outcome. So, in the meantime, we'll talk about the other games uh, in this series. First off, the Heat and the Bucks. Tom. The Bucks on paper, look like the far superior, more talented team, but are somehow down 2-0 in this series. The Heat did very well and round one, I believe it was against Indiana. Where is this coming from from the Miami Heat? How are they playing this well to, to look like a team that could win the Eastern Conference right now? Where did this come from? Is it more about Miami, or is it what's wrong with uh, the Bucs? What say you? Which way is it, or is it a little bit of both?
1: You know, I, you can't take away what Miami's
0: been able to do in the
1: first two games. Uh, so I think I would first have to say it has to do with Miami because they've been playing great. I mean yeah squeaked out the win tonight by two points uh but I, I mean I know what he was expecting the, the you know maybe okay okay you get the first game you know the magic got the first game against the bucks and then the bucks turned around and beat them 4-1 okay now you see that they're playing Miami okay Miami won the first one you don't expect maybe the bucks to go a four you know a, a 4-1 type situation uh but for Miami to get the first two games um and the way that they did is pretty surprising uh and you know maybe it is i I don't want to say it's wrong anything wrong with the bucks but you know maybe maybe it is maybe i mean boot can't be coaching experience he's from the spurs so it's not like he lacks playoff experience and coaching experience in the playoffs um so i would have to say it probably has to do everything with how miami's been playing
0: uh, incredible. And I know that Spolstra's got two rings from his days there with LeBron and D. Wade and company. I think you could argue and especially if they pull out this series, this is Spolstra's most impressive coaching job. Um, you know, I mean, they have some players. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, Jimmy Butler and and a and and uh, and company there. I mean, they got some dudes, but the the paper doesn't say this team should be in this position. A lot of it goes back to coaching to Spolstra. And here was a guy that just a couple years ago, when he had those guys in Miami, seemed like he was underappreciated, that he wasn't getting recognized. Now it seems like that a lot of their success has to do with Spolstra this time around.
1: Yeah, it does. And and I think he's finally getting the, starting to get the respect that he deserves. Uh, he's one of the best coaches in the league. And, obviously, it was overshadowed at first um, due to LeBron and company. Uh, I don't, you know, that shouldn't be overstated any more than what he's doing right now because, you know, managing those superstars and dealing with that whole ridiculous not one, not two, not three, even in the beginning of, uh, of his career, you know, you know, wasn't his first year when that all happened, but he wasn't that tenured um you know what pat riley's been able to do to keep spolster around and and keep him where he's at and kind of let him do his thing you got tyler hero duncan robinson obviously butler jodditch um you know you got some players yeah you got you got some talent and you know for a jimmy butler led team where it was looking like where it was with the 76ers and all that that happened with that huge ordeal to now you look at where Butler's leading this Miami team. He talked about it in an interview not too long ago about why he's been so successful in Miami, and he pretty much just said, uh, believe me here, he pretty much just said, hey, they let me do whatever the fuck I want. And obviously that seems to be working out.
0: I would say so. Uh, how about that Raptors-Celtics uh, series? The uh, Celtics lead that 2-0. Uh, and uh, the Raptors, I know it's been a magical season for them considering they lost Kawhi Leonard and still to be the number two seed and what they've been able to do this season. But the Celtics, I picked this team to go to the Eastern Conference Finals or go to the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. We're getting there. The finals (laughs) before the playoffs began. And, uh, I mean, the talent's there. It was just a matter of putting it all together. And I would say, Tom, in this case, it's, it's two factors. I think the Raptors, their luck is running out. But I do think also the Celtics are coming into their own. I mean, Jason Tatum is a top-five player in this league right now. I mean, it's a two-edged sword. I don't even uh, discredit the Raptors either. I think they've had a great season. They're, they've just hit a, a wall. They've run into a better team right now.
1: Well, I think you're right, and I think if Miami were to upset the Bucks, if the Bucs don't get it together, uh, I could see the Celtics, you know, let, let's say the Celtics go on a sweep of the Raptors here because the way they've played in the first two games indicates that that might be possible. Um, and then you look at Miami. If Miami can upset the Bucks, and you get a Eastern Conference Finals of Celtics versus Heat, uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that the Celtics would Maybe, you know, maybe I'm talking too quick here, but a Celtics team the way they're playing and the miami team the way they're playing spolstra versus stevens in the coaching matchup uh you know that would be a heck of an eastern conference finals um and and really if the heat were to do that and get by and somehow get to the finals i mean spolstra deserves all the praise in the world not saying that's going to happen and maybe i'm thinking way too far ahead but uh the way both these two teams are playing uh, could set up for an epic Eastern Conference Finals, one that uh, you would be apt to watch more so than any other year because usually the Eastern Conference Finals doesn't compare quite to what the Western Conference Finals is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it would be certainly exciting and and uh, to see exactly what plays out. We don't know uh, at this point in time. Tom, w- we get to react in real time to how this Thunder-Rockets game is going to finish. There's point five seconds on the clock and of course if you're listening to this hold game- on Jones
1: don't don't talk to me don't talk to me don't talk to me I'm on a stream that is just now at 20 seconds let this you're gonna know before I know <laughs> okay there's, I know there's I know there's a point now that is 0.5 seconds left I don't know who's winning yet uh, I would I'm gonna guess if I had to bet it's gonna be the rockets up 102 to 103 you would be
0: right Dort just threw it out of bounds off of Harden, and they're reviewing it as we speak. Um, I do think okay, it should be so Thunderball. Okay, should be Thunderball with less than a second left. And they're down by one. I would think it's just going to be a catch-and-shoot situation uh, The Chris Paul or SGA, whoever's open, whoever they can find. All right, there it is. 1.6 on the clock. Thunderball. Did it hit Harden? Yes. They said it was out on Harden. So that's fine with me.
1: That was an impressive block by James Harden.
0: It was. That's the first time I think I've ever seen James Harden play defense.
1: I think so. And it might have just moved him to the second round.
0: And it might be the last time we see him play Both of these
1: game sevens.
0: Just for the Thunder <laughs> right? to be I, – I, uh, I feel like I'm preparing myself for a loss here, but just for the Thunder to be in this position, considering the so-called experts said they had a 0.4% chance of making the playoffs, uh, is quite the accomplishment in itself. Now, I have disagreed with the way Billy Donovan has handled parts of this series. Um, you know, Dort, he's played well tonight, but – He's been up and down. He's gotten too many minutes at times when his offense was such a liability. They haven't fed it enough to Steven Adams, and they have such an advantage inside. Um, You know, even if Oklahoma City comes away with this series, Tom, I feel like that they got in their own way with some of the decisions that Billy D made.
1: Yeah, that is, and I will say the decisions that he made through the seasons could have, you know, got him here, obviously, along with the play of Chris Paul um, because, you know, what they've done is shouldn't be understated to get this far and then to push the Rockets to seven games and, you know, oh, 1.6 seconds now, I see. Um, But to push them to game seven and to play them this close, uh, you know, looks like a pretty bright future for, for Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, you got SGA, uh, be interesting to see what Gallinari does in the off season. And then obviously you have Chris Paul coming back around and, and what he's been able to do with this team, uh, I think only adds to, to his legacy.
0: All right. So, uh, we got the inbound about to happen here with uh, 1.6 and, uh, the thunder have two timeouts and one foul to give. But you gotta think with just that little time left, they're just looking for a catch and shoot anyway. Oh wow, they even added more time. Now it's two point seven on the clock. Um oh, but it's Houston ball. What? No.
1: Wow. Okay. I thought I was looking at it. It didn't look like it looked like James Harden jumped jumped the gun there.
0: Let's see what they do uh, here. Here's the inbound. And uh, Harden gets fouled. He tried to throw it up to get a shot off. I think they're going to give that as the, uh, the throwaway foul. Two seconds on the clock now. These NBA games, man, they stretch them as far as they can.
1: Yeah, the last two minutes last about 15 to 20.
0: Right. Here we go. Westbrook inbounds. And they foul. With 1.4, that's going to be free throws coming up.
1: You're my uh, you're my radio guy right now. Uh, I'm your play-by-play guy. Pretty much calling this because you are because I'm watching a USAA commercial.
0: Robert Covington at the line, an 80 percent free throw shooter, shooting two. Let's see how this ultimately plays out for Covington.
1: You're listening to the KLWN Doctor Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you,
0: Covington. makes One point four
1: seconds left.
0: All right, so the Thunder can take a timeout and advance the ball if Covington misses this next free throw. If you're Covington, do you intentionally miss it to try wear out clock? Let's I see. would see what he does here. He missed it. Gallinari with the the rebound. rebound, Timeout Thunder 1.2 to play. Um, Let's check back at this in just a second. Let's finish up the rest of the NBA segment here. Uh, Nuggets Clippers. The uh, Nuggets had an incredible series there with the Jazz coming back from down 3-1. I think the Nuggets have one of the brightest futures of anybody in the league, Tom. Um, What say you? The Clippers had a struggle of a series there with Dallas do you think Denver can give uh the Clippers a run for their money
1: it'll be interesting to see uh how Jamal Murray does in that series I I wonder what the matchups are going to be if you know Kawhi or you know Paul George will be placed on Jamal Murray I imagine one of the two will be uh, I don't think we're seeing another 50 piece from Jamal Murray in this Clippers series. I do think it'll be a good showing, but with Kawhi and Paul George on that team, uh, you know, I I I mean the best defender on the Nuggets, or I'm sorry, the best defender on the Jazz, obviously is Rudy Gobert. But that's not gonna, you know, you're not gonna, you know, that's for paint protection. But um, perimeter defense is going to make i think the nuggets one-dimensional and you know what better way i guess than to uh put the hands in the ball of jokic the same way that the thunder should be doing with steven adams um but with that being said i don't see in a way that the nuggets beat the clippers by any means i don't either but i will say they do have a bright
0: future here's the inbound play 1.1 to go They do have and uh, SGA couldn't find anybody. Timeout Thunder. All right, go ahead and continue.
1: Um, you know, the Nuggets, I think they do have a bright future. They have all the pieces there. They, uh, You know, Porter Jr. is playing amazing. Uh, so far, so good on that. As far as, you know, the injury that happened them taking a chance on him later in the first round. But um, I don't – I'm not a believer in Mike Malone, just not. Uh, you know, two first rounds in a row, going to game seven, barely pulling them out both times. Uh, obviously, once against my Spurs. And then last night, I think it was either Torrey Craig or it was O'Neal that had the shot that rimmed out that would have sent the Jazz into the second round. Um, now, to come back down one from one three to, to win that series, that is some uh, some toughness and some grit. But not a believer in Mike Ballone.
0: I like what Denver has. They're the future of this league with, uh, Jokic and uh, you know Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. I mean, they got a lot of good pieces there, but this team is still one shooter away, Tom. Before I'm buying in completely on the Nuggets, I think the Clippers win this series, but uh, I'll be surprised if this isn't a six or seven game series at this point.
1: Yeah, maybe um maybe they take a note back up and um have have uh, Gallinari come back. Maybe that's the case. Or you know, Jeremy Grant I feel like should or could play a bigger role with the Nuggets. I mean, he he played a pretty solid role um with Thunder there for a while.
0: And he's played uh, and, decent and kind this year. showed
1: out in Oklahoma City. So, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't bad. I feel like he could be better, maybe. But yeah, I agree. There, They need another shooter. They need another knockdown three point shooter for sure to space the floor a little bit for Jokic. And, you know, Jokic can shoot threes too. But, you know, uh, he's kind of a, a Popovich, I think it was, called him, you know, the, the second coming of Larry Bird.
0: Okay. So I wonder Galinari. if we see a
1: tomato that looks like Jokic.
0: Right, wouldn't that be great? is at the free throw line with 1.1 on the clock, down two. Let's see what Gallinari does here. First free throw attempt is up. No good. Damn it. Oh, Gallo. (laughs) You had one job. Wow. So now he's
1: going to have to miss the second.
0: Let's see. So now it's an inbound play. I guess it was a technical of some sorts. We have the sound off, so we can't quite
1: explain um, everything.
0: And uh, now there's must have been a timeout called by the Thunder. Um, the Clippers. The uh, the Clippers. This team has had a, a rocky season. I don't think they've quite met expectations, even in that series against Dallas. It was like, what in the world is going on with the Clippers? Uh, you know, we, we saw them later on in that series kind of kick it in gear. You know, playoff P was a laughingstock there at the beginning. Um, you know, you heard Charles Barkley say, you know, him calling himself playoff P is like calling me championship Chuck.
2: Uh,
0: I mean, that he's yeah. got no championships to resemble. Uh, the Clippers, do you think they can kick it in gear and go all the way. I mean, this team is as talented as anybody in the league, but can they keep it steady? Can they play good enough for a couple weeks on end to walk away with the title, Tom?
1: I mean, you know, the Lakers were shaky at first, but then they seemed to kick it in gear and really handed it to Portland. Uh, I mean, I think it's inevitable that it's going to be Lakers – uh, Clippers at this point, uh, you know, and, and potentially face a solid Celtics team. Uh, that that Lakers-Clippers series, granted that the Rockers, Rockets and Thunder don't somehow dethrone them, uh, is going to be one hell of a matchup, but it was essentially two final series in a row Here's the inbound. for oh, whatever team comes it. out of the way.
0: No! What a terrible inbound play. You kidding me? They... They tried to inbound to Steven Adams at the three-point line. Why? Gosh. Uh. Thunder That's your eliminated.
1: Coach Billy Donovan.
0: Great job, Billy D. Great so we're going gosh. to Billy
1: Donovan, right?
0: <laughs> uh. Good season for the Thunder. Um, consider the circumstances, you know the the fact that they got to the seven games with the team that they traded Russell Westbrook to. Um. You know, it's it's hard to. I would have loved to seen them win this series, but hard to hang your hats on uh, what was this season that certainly surpassed all of expectations. Uh, Tom, Houston's got no shot against the Lakers, right? The Lakers should win that series pretty easily. I think I think that series doesn't go any longer than six games. They probably wrap it up in what five.
1: I was gonna say five. Yeah, five games. And there's, I mean. I'm trying to think when that game, that first game will probably, I would imagine, be on Friday or Saturday.
0: Uh, that first game will take place on, on uh, Friday, yes.
1: Right, so not not a whole lot of rest for this Rockets team that just got, you know, beaten up in seven games uh, from this, you know, Thunder team. It looked like you gave it their all. So uh, it be interesting to see if they can even pull out one, in my opinion, um, we shall see.
0: No question. No question about it, Tom. Uh, Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Tom, where are we going to head to this time?
1: Jones, we're going to Tampa Bay. Uh, This is from the AP News article reads, Tiger King star Carol Baskin to dance with the stars. Like all cool cats and kittens, Carol Baskin is going to Dancing with the Stars. The reality TV star who became a pop culture sensation with Netflix docu-series Tiger King is joining the new crop of celebrity dancers that include TV and film actress Anne Heche, former NBA star Charles Oakley, and Backstreet Boys singer A.J. McLean. The new season premieres on ABC on September 14th. On the Netflix series Tiger King, Baskin, who owns a big cat refuge, to down Joseph Maldonado Passage for... For passage's for-profit breeding of big cats. His nickname is Joe Exotic, and her signature line is Cool Cats and Kittens. Maldonado Passage is serving a 22-federal year prison term for killing five tigers and plotting to have Baskin killed. Hashtag Free Joe. In June, a federal judge ordered Baskin ownership of the private Oklahoma Zoo run by Maldonado Passage. Others slated to appear on the dancing show are cheer team coach Monica Aldama, bachelorette star Caitlin Bristow, NFL star Vernon Davis, actress Sky Jackson, actress Justine Machado, TV host Jenny Mai, Jesse Metcalf, rapper Nelly, TV host Nev Schulman, real estate agent Chris Shells and Olympian Johnny Weir. Supermodel and businesswoman Tyra Banks will host the new season after longtime co hosts Tom Bergeron and Aaron Andrews announced their exit from the series in July. Jones, how do you think she's going to do? She's going to get a lot of hate. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be the one hating as well.
0: So, for Carol's sake, this is the perfect season for her to go on because they're not going to have a studio audience like they typically do. And... So, I think that she intentionally chose this season because she's not going to be hated while she's doing those performances. Carol Baskin is one of the most hated women on the planet in 2020 uh, after she killed her husband. Allegedly. Uh, you know, in that whole thing that, that went on in the Tiger King series. Um, so, with all that being said here, I think that Carol Baskin, Tom, is going to be terrible. There's nothing on that woman with that flower crown and, hey, all you cool cats and kittens, all that stuff that says that she would be a good dancer. But here's what I think is going to happen, and this happens on these reality shows from time to time, whether it's American Idol or Big Brother or whatever you name it. People tend to hate vote on these shows where they know somebody's bad, but they push them through anyway because they want to see more of them. I think in Carol Baskin's case, she is going to be terrible, but people are going to want to see Carol Baskin so bad and pile on her and hate on her in social media that she'll survive a few weeks more than she probably should.
1: Yeah, she's definitely going to survive a lot longer uh, than what she should, just for the ratings. I will have to tune in. Unfortunately. I don't really even watch these shows to be honest. I will tune in just to see the first dance, see how bad Carol Baskin's gonna be at dancing.
0: Would you take the time to vote for her
1: to move on? No, I would vote against her.
0: You'd vote for everyone else but Carol Baskin.
1: Exactly. I'm I'm on free Joe train. Um, well maybe not free immediately, but less than his term from 22 to maybe like five to 10 years. Uh, Still need to get back with Joe. I, you know, I have to talk to him about the time COVID hit and then they shut down his email. They said it was because of COVID that he couldn't have access to it. I called BS. I think he was just getting too many emails.
0: Right. They didn't want to pay for it.
1: But, but he did, he did reach out to me. He reached back out to me. So for that alone, I will vote against Carol Baskin if given the chance.
0: Yeah. Um, the other stars that you mentioned on there. Now, here's the key to Dancing with the Stars. As somebody that's watched this show before, I've watched several seasons, haven't watched in a while. If you're a figure skater, that's you shouldn't even be allowed to be on the show. That's basically dancing. It's pretty much the same thing but on ice. So, I think Johnny Weir – uh, the NBC commentator and Olympic skater—he has to be the favorite because he pretty much does the same thing. He just does it with skates and he does it on ice, so he's the favorite. But I think Nelly will be pretty good. Charles Oakley is going to be terrible. I can guarantee that right now. There's no way. Yeah, that's going to be bad. There's no way that Oakman still has any moves of any sorts. Um, you know, maybe this Disney Channel actress, Sky Jackson, will be good. Um, You know, Vernon Davis, he might be good. I think Vernon
1: Davis could be solid. He's
0: probably still got some moves in him. Uh, But if we're putting our money on anybody, uh, I would watch out for Johnny Weir, uh, Nelly. Uh, I think Nelly and Vernon Davis would probably be my top three. And uh, I would say that Carol Carol and Charles Oakley are probably going to be the worst ones of all of them.
1: Brian, I'm excited to see how bad it actually is. Uh, for what it's worth, I think I'll be rooting for Nelly if I had to root for somebody. But I will watch the first the first episode, and I will watch no more other than that first one.
0: Nelly, this week he uh, he posted a hype video for Denny Hamlin in the NASCAR playoffs. I'm like, what what's Nelly doing now? He's doing NASCAR videos and Dancing with the Stars. He's kind of falling off the, the train a little bit here.
1: Yeah, yes, uh, He has, but I still will stand Nelly day in and day out.
0: <laughs> we all jammed out to his songs at high school dances and uh, middle school dances in, in the 2000s.
1: Yeah, he's given me too many memories not to root for him. And I still <laughs> play his songs DJing, and people I'm, still love him.
0: I'm sure you do. Uh, Tom, uh, Dancing with the Stars, if I were ever to get to a point – of a celebrity stardom where I could be on this show. It would have to be if I was looking to rebound my career or if I'd gotten to a point where things had stalled out a bit. I would not do this as a way to elevate my career or if I was someone that was already a star. That would be the way to get me on Dancing with the Stars is if things had kind of, you know, went south and I needed a bounce back of some sort. Get people to remember me that I I still exist.
1: I feel that's that's kind of what the show is meant for in general, uh, you know. Carol Baskin, I think that was just kind of a opportunity, I suppose. Type uh, type gets uh, Charles Oakley. I don't know what he has to gain from this. Vernon Davis, uh, you know, out, out of the league, uh, no TV contracts, or anything like that. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what he's doing, but it seems like he obviously has the free time to do this. Uh, you know, Nelly, like you said, it's kind of fell off. I don't. I don't know about the Disney Channel actress or any of the other ones. Uh, Johnny Weir <laughs> would as, would assume that figure skating. Uh, you know, it's uh, not the season with COVID going around to uh, be doing any of that. Right. So, yeah, you know. There are people that watch these shows religiously. I am not one of those. But the Carol Baskin did catch my eye, and so I will watch the first episode, like I said, just specifically to see how bad she does.
0: Last thing. We'll wrap up on this note, Tom. Is there somebody that you would want to see on this show that would get your attention? Is there somebody that comes to mind like, man, I would love to see them on Dancing with the Stars?
1: Uh, maybe someone like super random, maybe like David Hasselhoff.
0: Okay. I liked, uh,
1: maybe maybe it would have to be someone super random.
0: The Hoff was, he was a good judge on America's got talent for those first couple of seasons. Um, it would have to be somebody for me, like really attractive, like, uh, you know, like Olivia Munn or a Megan Fox or something like that to get my attention.
1: Right, right. And they've uh, had some of those over there. Maybe, years. maybe so.
0: So, with that being right, said, like I feel
1: like they're all the celebrities they get.
0: Yeah, exactly. On that note, we will get out of here. Uh, big thanks to uh, Ben Heisler for joining us on the uh, Jones Report today. As always, you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Red Circle. Um, also still on SoundCloud. I don't think we're going to be on SoundCloud for very much longer, by the way. So go to our other platforms. Go to Apple, Spotify, Red Circle, our newest partner, uh, Google Play, all that stuff. I think we're on Stitcher now and a few others as well. But make sure, subscribe and listen to the Jones Report every single week. You'll be glad you did. Uh, we're also on social media, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, toggler Jones Media Group. Uh, also on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Tyler, TJ Media Group Jones underscore Report on Instagram, uh, Thomas underscore Bridges on Twitter, uh, Insta Thomas on Instagram, Tyler Jones Live on Instagram. You can find us there, and uh, we'll see you right back here next week for Ben and Tom. I'm Tyler Jones. Saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.